It's time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group with financial advisors Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory. The Wise Money Show is brought to you by the attorneys at South Bank Legal, First State Bank, Diane Bennett and the Inspired Homes Team, and Bethel University Adult and Graduate Studies. Welcome to another episode of the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group, where every week we're helping you take your next wise step in your financial life. Thanks for being here, friends. My name is Mike Bernard. I am your host. I'm also one of the certified financial planners on the program. With me in the KFG studios, my business partners and fellow CFPs, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. So what's the best way to protect yourself from identity thievery? Do you buy the insurance or is that not necessary? We're going to hit that and much more in this episode. I think Kevin's a victim of actual identity theft. Here. Right. He looks like Thievery. him, but what was that? <laughs> <laughs> hey, if you have a question for the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach us a few different ways. Call or text 574-222-2000. That's 574-222-2000. Online, wisemoneyshow.com. You can engage with us right there and submit a question. And then all over social media, wherever you're at, we are there as well. Just search The Wise Money Show and follow us there. Submit questions that way as well. All right. So I had a situation a couple of years ago where some folks came in and uh, and said, yeah, we also want to talk to you about the identity theft. I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, I thought this was general. We get this question a lot. Or someone, I had someone this week tell me they're, you know, they had a fraudulent charge on their credit card and they're getting a new credit card. So that's why I'm writing a check for my for my tax prep, that sort of thing. Okay, this wasn't that. I'm like, okay, what happened? He said, well, I got a call from the bank, the credit union, local credit union, saying, hey, you missed your mortgage payment. You want me to just pull it out of your account? Number one, I thought, well, that's nice of them. <laughs> Which bank calls and tells you you missed your mortgage payment? But apparently it happened. And he said, what are you talking about? I don't, I don't have a mortgage. And he says, yeah, you do. Don't you remember when you called me last month and took out a line of credit? True story, guys. True story. And he says, that was not me. And he says, what are you talking about? You took out a line of credit for $130,000. Oh, my goodness. It's sitting in your checking account. You just must not have used it yet. And this individual said, you've got to be kidding me. Pulled up his bank account, and he was right. There was $130,000 extra sitting in his checking account, and he had a loan for $130,000 that he did not take out. Wow. Mm. These fraudsters found a way to get the loan and transfer the money to the checking, and they had been spending their time trying to figure out how to get it out of the checking account. And thankfully, by happen chance, because banks don't just call you anymore and say, hey, Sam, you missed your payment. You know, mm -hmm. that doesn't happen crazy that they did and it it protected this individual identity theft is real yeah it it that is the most alarming story i've seen we're going to share a few others of real circumstances so what do you do do you go full panic and um and freeze your credit report like some crazy people would tell you i'm just kidding <laughs> i'm just kidding when do you take that step when you take the step of freezing your credit what should you do to protect yourself and manage from this risk. I would start, and there was a little debate. That was the joke. It was a little debate before we started recording. How do you how do you eat this elephant? 
You and start by freezing your credit. Start right? by freezing your credit. That applies to everyone. You've got a six-year-old freezer credit. Um, no, it's what would we recommend as a baseline recommendation? Listen, for everyone, because I don't, while freezing your credit is appropriate for many of you, I don't think it's appropriate for everyone, um, particularly if you're still using credit. Can't really do that. So what's the baseline recommendation we would tell everyone? The very first thing is I would say password management. You've, I, I, you got to change your passwords to your bank accounts, your online banking. I, I do it every three months. I do. Yeah, and I, mm-hmm. I think the best. I love cool technology that works, and the best technology that I've seen, and I'm sure there's others out there that w- actually work. But the best technology, my favorite, is LastPass. Because LastPass, you just need one password to remember to get into LastPass. Then you've got a vault in there that um, has all of your passwords for anything that you do, which to me, I think that is far superior to letting Google. Because whenever you put in a user ID and password, Google, if you're you're on Chrome, Google will now say, hey, do you want us to remember that for you? Mm -hmm. And I just... Um, if you've seen people be deplatformed or depersoned or de whatever, you don't want to be depersoned that that happens to. The other <laughs> the other thing I was going to say and what you're talking about that password management system um, has a multi factor entry, a two factor mm-hmm. or a three factor to get in, and so that's what I would do. I would I'd encourage you to change your passwords, get in a routine of doing that to your bank accounts and financial institutions, and then I would turn on two-factor or multi-factor um, whenever possible. Yeah, I mean, these tools, if you're not familiar with them, um, not only do they just keep track of what your passwords are, but they'll help generate passwords that are far more complicated than anything you would be able to remember mm-hmm. or or even dream up at, at times. And it just adds a, le- a level of security, but certainly that second factor, that second method of clearing yourself to get in, I think is is pretty important. And I'm considering putting that on my phone and other things at home too, because my kids know how to get into like everything. Yeah, watch out. Uh, yeah, our, we, we apparently are not very robust in our password setting. Wait, put what on your phone? Uh, it, I, I'm saying not just the phone, the uh, computer and, and things like that. Oh, gotcha. so, so the other thing, the next thing that I would tell you, we would tell you, encourage you practically is check your credit report regularly. Your credit report regularly. There is a website that one of us will, will share in just here, here in a second. I'm not talking about your score. The score is a manifestation of the, of the credit report, and you can get your score on your credit card for free most days. Don't pay the $8 or whatever to get your score. Get your free credit report at least once a year and go through it and just make sure it's all accurate. Yeah, you know, in, in this day and age, age, it would be easy to have a false sense of security. Like there's just always somebody watching over your shoulder. Uh, I, I don't know if you guys have experienced this, but every once in a while, I'll get a call from our credit card company saying, you know, we, we have a suspicious transaction. We need you to approve it. And if you don't approve it, then they're just going to close off the, the credit card because they don't know if it's been compromised, lost, stolen, whatever. And uh, sometimes we've even had to get... Uh, new credit cards issued for us. But that's that's the credit card company. 
you know, being very vigilant and saying, hey, you don't normally make a purchase in Timbuktu, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, they, they think, hey, this, this doesn't match your pattern. Let's flag this. But what about flagging um, the opening of credit cards, right? right? Uh, that's, that's really only on you unless you hire an outside service to, to be monitoring that for you and to flag it and bring it to your attention. You can do this on your own. Um, e each of the credit bureaus allows you to get a free copy of your credit um, report on an annual basis by going to a website called annualcreditreport.com. And, um, you know, if you spaced them out evenly every four months, you could get a new one from each of the three. But that requires a level of diligence and discipline that most people are just too busy for. But if you have a common name, it you you would want to do that. Sure. Or if you're a senior and there's a junior and maybe junior isn't as responsible. I I personally have a very uncommon name. And uh, I had a client come in and say, hey, are you related to the CFO of Tesla? And I said no, and he's like, "Oh, it's it, it's it's a Corhorn." And I thought, "Well, that's a you know, Corhorn's an unusual name, and there aren't a lot of people that have it." And so um, they left, and and a few weeks later, I was thinking about it. I'm like, "I wonder if I am like I you know, <laughs> reach out to my cousin." It's Zach Kirkhorn. Kirkhorn. Ah. So uh, must so be his cousin then, right? Must be, yeah. <laughs> so he's definitely not opening any credit in my name. Let's okay, just put so, it that way. So I, I we we're we're joking here, but but yes, check your credit report. It's a hard discipline to to you know build a habit around, but we'd encourage that you do it. What else should you be doing? We've got that and more coming up on the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Do you need to freeze your credit? Um, should everyone do that? What, what? How do you do that? Should you buy insurance to protect yourself from identity theft? Is there even such a thing that insurance can protect you from identity theft? We're hitting that right now, helping you with it. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being here. My name is Mike Bernard. I am the host. And with me in the KFG studios, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. Every episode of the Wise Money Show is on the YouTube channel. Go check it out. Go to YouTube. Go to YouTube. Search the Wise Money Show. Subscribe and follow us there. All right, let's get into it. We're talking about identity theft. Um, basic, basic stuff that we would recommend everyone do. Okay, is manage your passwords, change them regularly, multi-factor that sort of stuff, and monitor your credit report. Not your credit score, your credit report, and just look and say, "I didn't open a Sears card last month, or whatever, right?" There, because they don't exist anymore. I was say. Um, but but look at your report to <laughs> and just see what's what's out there, and and you know fix anything that's incorrect. Kevin mentioned you see a lot. We see a lot of these where someone else's information's on your report because they've got a similar name as you or, or related to you. I don't want my relatives <laughs> impacting my credit score. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Sorry, brother. Um, okay, you got to manage your internet risks as well. We, you know, so th this is simple, but don't do banking from cellular data. And that's hard because sometimes you just got to do it. And today it's so convenient, just blah, blah, blah. blah. But I, do your banking on private Wi Fi. 
Right. right. Your private Wi-Fi. Your don't private don't Wi-Fi. do it in you know a coffee shop where it's open or or whatever. Um, a lot of people don't give a whole lot of thought to that because, you know, technologically, I I couldn't tell you how someone could be nearby, essentially hacking their way into your internet connection or following along. But these things, it exists. It is real. This is not science fiction. And it's just one of the many ways that people can get a hold of your information. And uh, unfortunately, the damage that they can do is is pretty substantial. All right. So for those of you that are thinking, okay, thanks for the preventative speech there, but even an ounce of prevention isn't going to do enough. My data is already out there. So is yours. Everyone else's is. They've already hacked it all. Um, I need to be more aggressive. Well, not now. Now we're talking. Now we've got a couple. You've got a few options. You could buy some insurance. You could set up alerts on your with your credit reporting agencies, or you could buy insurance that includes some alerts, or you could go so far as to lock your credit, freeze your credit. Guys, let's talk about those options. When's it appropriate? Is there actually insurance that prevents that pre- that can prevent uh, identity theft? Let's let's talk about it. Well, it's I mean it doesn't prevent there there are services you know the the most famous I guess is LifeLock and they're one of the most expensive as well out there but um, those services mostly are doing the things that you would typically do yourself if you had the time and the motivation to do it that although there's some things that they can be monitoring that you would never be able to monitor you know is your name showing up out you know on the dark web on certain websites where a, a lot of this information is passing passing hands and everything. You, you don't have a way to go figure that out, right? But some of these huge corporations with great skills and, and technology um, uh, being deployed, they, they can do what you can't do. But it, it's this feature of how do you fix things when it's discovered that there is a problem. And having some reinforcements, maybe a coach and even some, some dollars available to you can be a really big thing. But, um, you, you know, you, you mentioned, though, the, the one thing that LifeLock can't do for you is they can't freeze your credit. And that is a tool in the tool bag, right? It's, it's something that you could do, and it, it may be something that you would really want to do if you know that you've been compromised, if you know that you've been a victim of, of credit fraud of some sort, or maybe your kids have. But the, the the real drawback, the con to this is, yeah, it's it makes it impossible for other people to open credit for you, but it also makes it hard for you. If if you need to go get a car loan, if you're thinking about refinancing or buying a new house or something, um, you, you can't do that while your credit freeze is on. You have to take it off and... You know, you, you've I, got I, some hoops to jump. I through. don't understand. You can't be at the mall and and checking out at Hudson's and <laughs> <laughs> and and say, hey, I can save twenty percent if I open a credit card today because your credit's frozen. And, and sometimes funny. you get that insurance, that home and auto insurance bill in the mail, and it all of a sudden went up, and they said, yeah, your 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 auto insurance rate is actually connected to your credit in a way, not a direct way, but in a way, and by not having that credit available for your insurance company to pull from, that can change your rates. I guys, they did is there really something man-made, human-made on Mars roving around right now? 
if that's true, why can't they take why can't they make your credit where you can turn it on, turn it off, allow access? Like if you can if you can get an alert from your credit card company that hey, someone just bought something in Alabama. You want to approve this? Are you in Alabama? Why can't I get an alert from Experian saying someone's trying to open a credit card? Is that you? Why can't I do that? That's a good question. I mean, do they have an economic incentive to create? No, they that for don't. You, That's right? the point. But give me a break. I mean, so they, they should be able to. So the the you should have a this is this is my thing. Okay. You should have a manual, a manual gate on your credit that you can be alerted on something and let something pass through and everything else gets blocked out. Yeah, I when I when I think about that, I think simplify your financial life so that you can there are there are pinch points in your financial life. I would rather manually do it than have it automatically done for me. When my credit is automatically frozen, there's some protection in that, but there's there's also in and life is a is a game of trade-offs. So what's the trade-off? The trade-off is if my credit is frozen, it is much more difficult to be an operator. And you might say, well, listen, I'm not an operator. I have I've I've been able to simplify my financial life. I don't need to open that um, that credit card or that whatever fill in the blank. I'm not applying for a mortgage. I don't. So if you if your life is simple, frozen credit might not. Be a bad idea. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think a complicated financial life where there are too many places to look, that's why if you're working with a, a financial planner, one of the things that you'd want them to do is help you aggregate your entire financial life in one place so you can see it 24-7, 365 and your financial life is always decisionable, but you will also see if something is raising a red flag. Uh, the insurance, um, a lot of banks and credit cards have sort of built-in insurance, and I'm, I'm probably not supposed to say that because it's not really insurance, but it's built-in fraud protection, built-in, um, uh, you know, I, I guess I, I don't really know what to say, but I mean, if 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 someone spends money on your credit card, charges something fraudulently, then you're not responsible, I guess is what I'm stammering to say. And in that in that sense, that's why when you're buying something online, which is all the time now, use a credit card. Don't use debit. So that's what I would do. Aren't there limitations on that too, though? Like you have to catch it and raise the awareness within a certain number of days. I think most credit card companies are vying for your business, so they're trying to catch it. But yeah. Yeah, you're, yeah. you're right, yeah. for sure. So I so but, anyway, but, but, but the that's insurance. a good habit to be in. I mean, some people, yeah, if, if you have credit card transactions that are hitting your card automatically and then you're automatically paying that off, you might you, you could go months without actually putting eyeballs right. on a credit card statement and actually monitoring this stuff yourself. I, I want to pick back up the idea of getting the insurance. But then the other thing, guys, uh, one of the most over, you know, burden systems with theft is the IRS. We're going to talk about that and more coming up on the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. How do you help protect yourself uh, against tax fraud? Uh, that's identity theft. That, like, 
How, how, how do you protect yourself from someone stealing your refund or creating a tax return in your name and trying to get some goodies from the government? We're talking about that right now. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being here. My name is Mike Bernard. Here with me in the KFG studios, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. Stay up to date on all Wise Money content. Find us online, wisemoneyshow.com, and then all over social media, wherever you're at, we're there as well. Search the Wise Money Show and follow our content there. Okay, so before we get into tax scams and how to help prevent, anything else on the insurance? Do you just unilaterally recommend it? Do you unilaterally not recommend it? Is it case-by-case basis? I would say case-by-case basis, personally. And and if you've been, so so my Cindy Bernard, there's another Cindy Bernard apparently in Hawaii that is, um, is a, is, not very financially <laughs> responsible. Let's just say that. <laughs> and we've had these flashes of, oh my goodness, that this is either intentional or not, and we need to protect ourselves. Like, hide your kids. Hide the, like, you, we got to protect ourselves. And um, we've taken steps directly with the reporting agencies, but we haven't yet gotten the insurance just because I feel fairly comfortable with the protection that these credit cards offer but it you know depending on your situation if you've been a victim i might make sense for you to get the insurance anything else you guys would add there well i'd go back to one of the things kevin said uh in the last segment i think it was it it has to do with well how simplified do you have your financial life and um you know certainly your your kids they have a pretty simple financial life right now, but it's going to get more complicated as as time goes on. It might get very complicated when they become adults and start their own families. And so I, I personally think that there's probably not just a universal statement that you would make for everybody. Um, it depends on what phase of life you're in and, you know, what what kind of situation you've built for yourself in your financial life. And, and so in that way, I, I do kind of think of this as a financial planning question. It depends on your situation and um, and what risk you're facing. And I, I think personally, it's something that you should evaluate with you know you and your spouse together, but also maybe with your your trusted advisor. Yeah. What is their perspective? What what risks are they seeing for you, and um, and, and what are the potential solutions that they would recommend? Uh, tax. Tax fraud, tax identity theft is a whole nother animal. Yeah. Uh, it, it really is. And and I'll just a quick story here. This has become more and more of a thing over the past decade. And uh, and I had a situation. One of one of the very first folks that I dealt with uh, for tax identity theft was my parents. Hmm. We went and filed a, uh, a an e file for them, and it was rejected because someone already did. In their name. Already filed a return in their name. Yep. To get their refund, essentially. To get a made-up refund. Yeah. But here's what it did. It prevented them from getting their refund. Yeah. And so I'm going to give you some takeaways, some action items to help protect that. But but before before we get into some of those things, there's three ground rules we've got to just make perfectly clear when it comes to the IRS. They will never contact you by email. Okay, so so that is that that's that's fraud right there that you could be exposed to if you receive a threatening, very alarming and scary email from the IRS saying you owe us money that you've got a problem. No, no, they're not going to email you. They are they're not. Okay, 
um, as of right now, maybe an, an IRS agent that you've talked to, you've given them your email address, they're not using email at all, okay? Second, the IRS is not gonna make first contact with you by phone. And this, I think, is even more common than the scary emails. It's the scary phone calls because they're very aggressive. They're very aggressive, and they sound real. They give you a phone number, blah, 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 and they're going to tell you, you owe all this money in taxes. Let's take care of this right now. If you don't take care of this right now, all these bad things are going to happen. I need a credit card number from you right now. The IRS is not going to make first contact with you by phone. They mm -hmm. will not. That's the ground rule number two. Ground rule number three is, well, then how will they contact you? And they will make first contact by letter. They'll send you a little love note or something <laughs> called an IRS notice. And they're going to tell you, this is the return you filed. Here's the way we would file it. And here's the difference. Explain. And they're going to want your explanation. They're going to tell you to send them an, them an email. No, they're not. They're going to tell you, old-fashioned, create a letter and send it in. And that's where you're going to want to have a CFP, who, or excuse me, a CPA and CFP, hopefully, that's helped you. Where you can say, okay, I got this. Is this right? Is it wrong? Guys, half the time, these IRS notices come in, they're wrong. See, I, I say it's way more than half the time. In fact, you, you know, the, the, the fraud where someone's calling you by phone and saying, you must deal with this right now. I'll take your credit card information. Let's get this handled. That's kind of the feel when you get one of these letters as well. You know, it's telling you that you did something wrong on your taxes or our numbers don't match and you owe this money, right? And it doesn't necessarily mean that you owe that money. In fact, most of the time, I would say, vast majority of the time, it's some sort of a mistake. It's a letter that is not being generated by a human being. It's generated by a computer. And maybe there's just some clarification that is needed. And um, But here's the thing. If you filed on torpedo tax or you did something you know, free with a, with a cube or whatever, they're, you're not going to get help. You're going to be stuck there. And, and we clean up a lot of those. Right. So work with your CPA and, and hopefully they're connected to your CFP. And when you get that love letter, you can bring it to them and say, hey, what's this mean? And if there is something that was missed, it's likely because they didn't mail you that tax form. It came by email or you're supposed to go fetch it or there was some sort of miscommunication. All right. So, so those are kind of the three best practices, three rules. They're never going to email you. They're not going to make, make first contact by phone. They're going to make first contact by mail. Now, let's get into these tax-related scams. The very first one is the one that I dealt with with my parents, and that was someone files a fake tax return using your Social Security number. Well, how'd they get it? All the, there's, a, there's a place on the IRS website where you can go, and they'll show you the steps on what you then are supposed to do. Okay, if that happens. Um, but here are the takeaways. This is the takeaway that we did with my folks. And it turns out, as I kind of searched the Google, these are the takeaways that a lot of people have applied. Um, file early. File early. Don't, don't give the fraudsters a chance, much of a chance to go file a return uh, in your name. Second, don't bank on this huge refund. Yeah. My dad said, it's the last time we'll ever get a refund. I'm not going to have the IRS hold my money hostage because some fraudster, you know, cut me off. Yep. And so we shoot to break even every year, oh, a little bit every single year. Mm -hmm. And then third, you can get a pin or you can go, you can take one extra step to try to protect someone from filing a return 
in your social security number. But listen, guys, sometimes this happens because you've got a blended family and, you know, your ex uh, claimed the child, right? Or the stinking child went out and filed their own return. Sometimes yeah, off this at happens. college or innocent. something, they filed before you could claim them. Yeah, it, it can put a roadblock in your way of being able to file on time or to get refunds on time. It's a big deal. You know, another example of potential fraud related to taxes in a way, uh, especially over the past year, is unemployment income filing, like fraudulent unemployment. So someone basically files for unemployment in your name. You don't know anything about it. Maybe you weren't even unemployed yourself, but they're trying to collect a check as if you are. And uh, unfortunately, many people, uh, you wouldn't find that out until a tax notice comes in the mail um, saying, okay, you've got to report this income now on your tax return. And you're like, well, hang on a second here. What is this? Yeah. There are actually procedures in place that you would have to go through with your, your state to, um, to get this waived, and it can hold up a tax filing process. That's right. That's right. All right, we've got questions from fans of the show. That and more coming up on The Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. The Wise Money Show is brought to you by the attorneys at South Bank Legal, First State Bank, Diane Bennett and the Inspired Homes Team, and Bethel University Adult and Graduate Studies. Can anyone make a contribution to an HSA? What are, what are their income limits? What are, what are the eligibility requirements to get this pretty cool tax advantage, the HSA? We got that and other questions from the show we're hitting right now. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being here. My name is Mike Bernard. With me in the KFG studios, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. Every, every episode of the Wise Money Show is on the YouTube channel. Go check it out. Go to YouTube, search Wise Money Show, and follow it. Okay, we're going to transition away from the headliner topic of identity theft. If you've missed anything, go check it out on YouTube. But got some questions from fans of the show here. This one was on the YouTube a few oh a few weeks ago. Is there an income limit that affects how much I can contribute to an HSA if I'm a high-wage earner? That's a great question, and I would like to start by just defining what an HSA is. So it's a health savings account. And a lot of times when we're talking to clients and we say, well, what type of health coverage do you have? They say, well, I have an HSA. So that's mm-hmm. a common misconception because if Don't you- correct them. Please tell me. That, like, that's like the- um, Correcting a client when they call it an IRA. Me and him. Listen, I have a client. Him, him I have me. a client that yesterday, in the spirit of talking about corrections, I, I drew three buckets up on on my board, mm-hmm. and this client is an artist, oh. and he came around you fixed your drawing. and fixed my, my buckets. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I do. Well, I, I think it's important. I personally think it's important to understand and have a framework that, no, you don't have an HSA. Yes, you do have an HSA, but you don't. So you have a high deductible health plan. And people say, well, yeah, of course I do. I, I've, my deductible's a thousand bucks. No, no, no. It's not, I feel like <laughs> my deductible's high, therefore it's a high deductible health plan. It's higher than mm-hmm. I want it to be. Right. Yeah, right. right. That's right. So That's right. I qualify. <laughs> so there, there, are, there's an, there are actual guidelines that determine whether or not your health plan is a high deductible health plan. 
So if you have a high deductible health plan that is HSA eligible, then you can put money into an HSA. Again, a health savings account. Yeah. So basically, if you have a qualifying high deductible health plan that qualifies you to open a health savings account, you're allowed to. You're not forced to. And that allowance, you can open a bank account, okay, and put money into it. When you do, it's pre-tax. That money you put in saves you federal and state taxes. And if you save it right out of your paycheck, it saves you FICA taxes. And then when you use that money on qualified medical expenses, it comes out tax-free. And I know I'm missing an important part there, but fill it in. Well, no, but so there, there are two ways to get money into it. One is through payroll deduction. And again, you say federal, state, and FICA Medicare taxes on that. The other way, and we've been doing a lot of this during tax season, is, hey, listen, you you put, you partially funded some of it through your payroll, but you haven't fully funded it. You can write a check for the balance of that to fully fund it for last year. And so think two ways to get it in. One is via payroll deduction. The other is I can write a check to my HSA and put the money in there. Use after-tax money and put it in, and then it becomes pre-tax. You deduct it on your return. Yeah, and if you happen to have an employer who is also contributing to the account for you, first of all, what a wonderful blessing that is. Mm-hmm. Um, but that eats into your maximum contribution. It's, it's it, your contribution. It counts towards it. That's right. It's your contribution and your employers together is what we're measuring. But one of the reasons that we love the HSA so much as a tax write-off is the timing flexibility of it. You know, here we are in March. You could still be contributing to an HSA for last year uh, if, if you need to do some last-minute tax planning. But also, y- you could have super high income, right? Y- you're not limited like you are on certain other tax write-offs like contributing to an IRA or, or something like that. Yeah. So the, the availability to so many people who do have the right type of health insurance plan in place is pretty awesome. So, uh, great question. The answer is, it's only a matter of time. (laughs) It's only a matter of time. Right now, there is no income limit. As long as you have a eligible, a qualifying, high-deductible health plan, you can contribute to that sucker uh, for now. For now. And I'm, I'm I'm not being doom and gloom. I'm just telling you. I don't know. Were the income limits always there for the IRA? Someone should look that up. Yes. When it was, it was it not was, Roth, but the IRA, the traditional it, IRA. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. And and it used to be two thousand dollars. Right. Those right. of us oldsters, we remember yeah, when before Bush, you're getting rich two thousand dollars at a crack. The other mm-hmm. reason why we we love the HSA, like like Josh said, is it it allows. I mean, I said you can open a bank account, and I was intentionally sort of leaving off some of the details. You could actually open up an investment account. And you can put this money in. It's going to give you the same tax benefits. And if you're not going to use it, if it's, quote, unquote, long-term money because you've got other savings or you're pretty stinking healthy or you've got lots of cash flow, then let that money sit in there and invest it for the long term. And then you've got, you know, if you put five in there and it grows to 15, now you've got 15000 that you can use tax-free for medical expenses in the future. Pretty great deal. I see more and more people using the HSA as an advanced retirement funding vehicle simply because of its very unique and beneficial tax 
tax features. So great question. Second question comes, and this is a little bit dated, so I got to tweak it a little bit. This was from the beginning of the year, and whoa, have things changed. Uh, would it be wiser for me to refinance my mortgage now, dropping from 4.25% to 3%, um, or just wait, knowing that I'm going to build a house in the next five years, and we'll have to restructure my loan then? And, and then there's an add on there. But let's just stop right there for right now. Interest rates have gone up significantly as this as the market is expecting inflation and the Fed is saying, no, there won't be any. And so interest rates and mortgage rates have gone up very quickly. So if someone hasn't refinanced yet, do you tell them, quickly jump in? Or do you say, well, wait because rates will go back down? Or wait because you missed your opportunity? What do you th- what do you think? Boy, I I try not to make predictions on what direction interest rates are going to go because, you know, for the first 15 because years of, of my record? career, <laughs> yeah, I was just wrong all the time, right? <laughs> Me they too. can't possibly go any lower than this. Right. Oh, okay. Yes, they did. Um, but so, so here's the thing. You have to just look at the situation in front of you right now and with the facts in front of you and your assumptions about the future, make a wise choice. And anybody who's refinancing needs to stop and recognize that generally speaking there are closing costs sometimes significant closing costs to get that new loan in place most people roll those closing costs just into the new loan uh, so it doesn't take money out of their bank account to to achieve it but either way when you're incurring this new cost you might be taking a step backwards on your mortgage by rolling the closing costs in or you may be you know, draining your bank account to, to cover them. And in either situation, you need to, need to know, will I have this loan in place long enough to recoup those costs? There, there is a break-even point at some point. And if that's nine, 10 years out based on the calculation and you think you're not going to be in the house for much longer, then I, I would pause and, and question whether or not that's a good use of the money. Um, just getting a lower interest rate isn't the point. The point is having less interest bleed out of your financial life into a lender's hands instead of staying in yours. We want to reduce that as much as possible um, and and not just jump on a lower interest rate just because you think you should. Yeah, that could be the the reason why is to reduce the interest that you pay over time. The, another reason could be I'm I'm adjusting cash flow. I'm, I'm doing a, a cash out refi, paying mm-hmm. some things off. The, you want to look at what are the closing costs because it can be very confusing. I think in terms of around $3,000, and I um, was working with a client the other day, and uh, she said, hey, okay, is, does this look okay? I said, it looks great. Your closing costs are around 2800 bucks, and your this this was, uh, I don't know, this was a while ago, but it was she got 2.5% for 30 years. Pretty amazing deal. Yeah. So she she wrote back and said, "No, this is confusing because it says my closing costs are eighty five hundred dollars," and I said, "Well, so you got to peel back that onion a little bit. The the costs that the company are charging you to actually perform the service of the refinance are about three thousand. The other costs are the prepayment of your property taxes, the prepayment of your home insurance and these other things. So they want $8,500 to get everything the way that it needs to be. But the cost itself 
are three thousand. So those prepayments are basically pre-building your escrow account because you might have some payments due for taxes or for insurance just right around the corner, and you don't have twelve months to slowly right. trickle money into that account. And you'll likely get back if you're if you're refinancing with a completely different company, you'll get back whatever was in your escrow account at the previous company. It's it's a financial planning question because you've got to look at your entire financial situation, your priorities, your cash flow, your goals, how much you're funding other areas, the rest of your debt, and see what makes sense. Typically, it's the five and one. Uh, if you're if you're able to reduce your interest rate by one percent, and you're still going to have that mortgage in five years, I would consider doing it. Um, but that goes back. To, that's a quick and easy way of doing that break even d- right. that Josh mentioned. That now the five year rule. Uh, are you going to have that mortgage for five years? Well, you could move, or you could pay it off, or you know, you think rates are going to keep going down. Who knows? And the individual wrote in and actually said, I'm actually going to be building a house. Would it be wiser to just start building the house now so that I lock in the low rates or wait until higher? Now, that's that's completely separate than the mortgage, in my opinion, even though he's asking about rates, because this is a question about your financial readiness and the rest of your financial plan, because building the house accelerates some costs. Well, were those resources supposed to go somewhere else? And now they've got to be sucked into the mortgage. You don't want to do something where it's cheaper to do the bill, the, get the interest rate, but it's more expensive because of the lumber, or it's more expensive because I have to reduce my my savings to retirement, something like that. So you've got to make this decision in the context of your entire financial situation. I, I agree, and you know some of the 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 most difficult or sad financial situations that I've ever gotten to get a glimpse into. Um, are, are situations where people made certain assumptions about, hey, I can still maintain my mortgage on this house and buy this second house. And after we sell the one, then everything's going to be great. And something changes in the economy around them. And their, their assumptions yep. about the future are proven to be false. And the pain and the stress can be too much sometimes. Too much. Yep. All right. Thanks for the questions. I hope that that has helped you. That is all the time we have for today. On behalf of Josh Gregory, Kevin Corhorn, myself, and all of us at KFG, have a great weekend. We'll see you next Saturday for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Securities offered through Silver Oak Securities, member FINRA slash SIPC. Advisory services offered through KFG Wealth Management, LLC. Doing business as Corhorn Financial Group. KFG Wealth Management, LLC and Silver Oak Securities Incorporated companies are unaffiliated.